Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. We're... uh at the MFGCon 2019, and we're clocking in at the Voices of Manufacturing podcast today, where we're going to be talking with one of the visiting manufacturers for the conference. John Cruz is the president of Growler Manufacturing and Engineering with uh, headquarters in Star and other plants in Robbins, North Carolina. If I get that right, he can correct me later. But uh, uh, John's a good friend of the program, and uh, we're glad to have you today. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great, and I appreciate you having us here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Growler and what you guys do and kind of how did you get started there, and how did the program, uh, your manufacturing plant get going? We started about 20 years ago. My dad started the business, and he always had a passion for vehicles and modifying vehicles and rebuilding vehicles. And when he retired from the military, he grew that passion into military-style vehicles. And we had taken uh, a number of vehicles to the center court in the Pentagon. Um, if you look at the Pentagon from the aerial view, there's a big court in the middle. And uh, he still had access to the Pentagon, so we took some vehicles there. And we had remodified or remanufactured some of the old World War II Willys Jeeps. And they were designed to be very inexpensive, and they could go into the theater very quickly. You could roll them over on their side, repair them, roll them back over, and drive them off again. And if they were too badly damaged, they were cheap enough to leave in theater unlike a lot of the equipment the military goes back and and gets because it's so expensive. The military loved the idea and said it was a great concept, but they were never going to buy any of it. Uh, They needed new vehicles, and specifically they needed a vehicle that would go into the back of the V-22 because that was going to be one of their main transports, at least for the Marine Corps. And so my dad started in designing uh, a vehicle that would go back into the V-22 Osprey in the cargo hold of the V-22. So he mocked up a V-22 at his plant. And at that time, they were in Ocala, Florida. And they designed the entire, um, a mock-up of the entire cargo hold in their plant and they designed a vehicle around that. And to get a vehicle into the V-22 Osprey cargo hold is a pretty big engineering feat. You have to have, uh, it's a very tight space, and you have to have specific tie-downs and floor pressure, not only total floor pressure, but pressure per square inch where the tires set. Mm. So there's a lot of engineering had to go into it. The tires uh, had to deflate to, to increase the floor pressure uh, or to disperse the floor pressure. And ultimately, it was a large competition, and uh, my father's company won that competition. Mm. And they went on and produced those vehicles. And they were doing them for a number of years, and in, I think that program ended in 2012. Uh, in 2010, I had a previous career, and my dad had asked me, would I come work for him? He needed some additional support. I think he was looking at the future of the company. And so I decided to join him, and I did that. And at that time, we were looking at other opportunities, and I was in charge of a smaller spinoff that we placed over in Star, North Carolina. And at that time, our main headquarters was in Robbins. So I had about eight people under me at, at the Star plant, and we were looking at opportunities and an opportunity popped up with the Navy on a munitions trailer. 
Uh, and this particular munitions trailer was being procured through the Navy, but again, it was for the Marine Corps. And I, my job was, uh, as a small, very small business, was to go and get some piece of that, and maybe as a subcontractor. And so I did my homework and figured out who the trailer manufacturers were, who I thought would actually win, win this program. And I went to the industry day the Navy held where they explained to everybody you know, what we want to buy and this is what we need done. And I talked to all the trailer manufacturers and nobody would work with us. They all said, we have all this capability, we don't, we don't need any more. So I came back empty handed. And we were left with really no other option but to prime it. And so we did. We, we took a chance on ourselves and we took a chance on our people. And we wrote a, a very good proposal, as it turns out, uh, even with the government feedback, and we won that. And I think that was a big upset, and people weren't expecting this little company in North Carolina who had not previously built trailers for the military to jump in the arena and win. And from that point forward, we've worked pretty well to stay on the forefront of what our military needs about corrosion control, um, lower maintenance costs, and now, you know, the big ticket that's coming in is better ride quality because the older trailers are just are uh, very rough riding and a lot of the trailers are, are um, being beaten up when they take them off-road and a lot of the equipment they transport is getting beaten up because the, the ride is so rough. Oh, man, wow, that's what a great story. So you said a small little company winning those contracts. How, how small are you now? Well, right now we're 45, so we'll fluctuate a little bit, but we expect to grow next year to 65. And I think my ultimate goal for the company is to get us to about 100 to 150 would be a good place. Our facilities can hold about 250 people easily uh, and still comfortably, but I think at the 150, that would give us a, a very good production rate and give us diversity of products that would keep all our facilities full for a long time. And our current contract complement should keep us running for a good five to seven years. So I know you uh, focus on the military and defense. Do you do other types of work outside of that? We do. We've been working to diversify because we are mostly Department of Defense. And there's a risk when, you're only, when you only have one type of customer, though we have a number of different DOD customers. Uh, it's very cyclical, and it can be um, affected by government shutdowns. It can be affected by politics. So there's a lot of things in that in the government arena that play a risk in being uh, having such a large complement. So we look at outside as well. So we do a lot of work for the USDA. We build some specialty equipment for them, and how the USD it helps the USDA control the food supply and keep it safe for us. So uh, that's been a, a very positive part. We also have some commercial products, the Huntmaster, which we build, and uh, mostly we have given those away uh, because it is a wheelchair-accessible hunting blind, mm -hmm. and a lot of the people that need them uh, don't necessarily have the funds, so we end up donating a lot to nonprofits who then will make those available, a lot of them to wounded warriors and other disabled veterans. Oh, that's very interesting. All right, so let me ask you the question that all manufacturers are grappling with. I mean, as you grow, you know, how do you grow your workforce effectively there? And who, who are you, where are you going to find these workers to get you to these levels you're talking about? We've been pretty successful about finding good workers down there in Montgomery County. We're not experiencing the same type of employment effects as people are seeing in the larger urban centers, such as maybe Charlotte or Raleigh. We're finding a pretty good, stable workforce. And we've also worked on identifying uh, which employees would be good to cross-train. And so we've been cross-training our employees from assembly into some of our powder coating and our zinc coating processes, as well as sub-assembly processes. We have also uh, improved substantially how we handle our work instructions. 
And so that enables, enables us to better cross-train our employees. So now we can take an individual, give them greater skill sets, and use them in a variety of different ways. And when we do that, that employee gets uh, paid more. When they're qualified to do an additional task, they're paid more. So there's an incentive there to do that. And most of our employers are doing quite well and make well above uh, the state and national average. Mm, that's, that's great. So whenever you develop your new products, I mean, how much new technology is involved? I mean, are, does the uh, requirements push you into things that are that's new for you or how much, of the, how much new technology are you including in some of your products? When we look at the technology, there's the first phase that we implemented was corrosion control. And so the corrosion was becoming a big problem, and the Army particularly, because they have the largest complement of equipment. And so they have hundreds of thousands of pieces of equipment that are rusting, some of them so badly they can't be used. So we implemented technology to give a zinc coating to an entire vehicle or trailer frame and chassis. And that's different, is historically all you really could do was to paint them um, or maybe powder coat them. And that's only a physical barrier. It's not actually an electrochemical or, or a barrier that really prevents the corrosion. So that zinc does do that. And we're also looking at how we handle hardware and how we designed for enclosed spaces where it's very difficult to coat. Um, so either we design them so they'll be open so our, our personnel and their hands and their equipment can get in there to coat that area or we completely enclose it so moisture doesn't get in at all. The next phase of the technology that we're looking at is semi-autonomous and semi-active suspension systems on trailers. The old adage or the old belief was that they really kind of wanted a cheaper trailer, and a lot of the trailers have leaf spring suspensions, and that's an inexpensive, low-maintenance product, and that works well. But with the military, their mission is forcing the drive off the road further and faster. And those leaf springs don't give a very comfortable ride. It's a very bumpy ride, um, and it transmits what they're calling a lot of absorbed energy into the trailer and into the, anything that trailer is carrying as well. It's similar if you're in a car with a very bumpy ride. When you're done with that, you feel fatigued and you're tired. They want semi-active suspension systems where the, the, uh, the tractor can control the, how soft the ride is, it can control the tire inflation, it can control the ride height of the trailer, and active dampers, um, active uh, anti-lock braking systems. Hmm. And all that working together to maximize the comfort of that trailer. It's kind of strange to think of a trailer needing comfort, but what it does is it reduces the fatigue and stress on the trailer, and it reduces the fatigue and stress on what it's carrying, and that's less maintenance to the government overall. And the final phase we're looking at that Growler is just only on the periphery of is autonomous, uh, especially the Army is really pushing for autonomous systems where they would have a driver and maybe one tractor somewhere, and behind it are autonomous trailers, other autonomous vehicles that don't have any drivers. And that's great for refueling operations, transporting a lot of equipment to the front line, and that would help the government um, or the military reduce significantly the number of personnel that they're allocating to drive equipment and fuel to the forward operating mm. locations, and they can, can, they can put more people into combat positions. Wow. All this from a refurbished Willys Jeep, right? It, it's lots of changed in, in the last 20 to 30 years. Yes, it has. Yeah. So, John, thank you for coming by and talking to us. I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing some really neat things down there at Growler. And we appreciate your support uh, with NCMEP. I think you accompanied us to one of our Hill Day visits, and we sure thank you and your father for doing that. And again, we thank you for having us, and we want to uh, we appreciate all the support that you've given us. And uh, NCMEP has been a great 
great sponsor and supporter of Growler, and we've been able to do a lot of things, and we appreciate that, uh, yeah. that ability. Thank you. Give your dad my regards. And I will. We'll talk later. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.